Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eichen. He's Cody Clark. Cody, October is finally here. And not only do we have postseason baseball, we have the NBA Finals and the early part of the NFL season going on. How does it feel to be talking about the NBA Finals in October? This this feels yeah, weird. It's, yeah, it's it's definitely weird, but it's I mean it's really awesome to have all of these things going on, particularly all this playoff action. You've had the NFL crank up as well, so yeah, it's definitely odd and different with the finals going on in October. But uh, it's been it's been a treat to be able to to watch it all and have it all going at the same time. And that's where we will start today. Well, the last time that we spoke, it was the thick of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. The Los Angeles Lakers got through the West. The Miami Heat got through the East. And the Lakers currently have a 2-0 lead over Miami. Miami lost games 1 and 2, and they also lost Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic, two very important pieces of that team. Anthony Davis went off for 32 points in the week two win for Los Angeles. With what you've seen in games one and two, how likely would you consider a Miami comeback to be? Because Spolstra and Butler are saying, yeah, we might be down 0-2, but don't count us out yet. Yeah, no, I mean, you're not going to count out the heat, but that injury to, to Dragic is huge because, you know, he's such a he's such a mismatch. He has the ability to, you know, exploit defenders out on the perimeter. He's a good shooter. He's a great passer. He's kind of leads that charge with the, the dribble penetration that the Heat have, which leads to a lot of those kick out three pointers for Hero or for Duncan Robinson. So they're definitely not out of it. Uh, the Heat are still a very good team. But, you know, Anthony Davis is, is playing otherworldly. Uh, you know, 34 points in game one, 32, I believe, in game two. He's averaging uh, four assists. He's shooting almost 45% from three versus Miami. So, you know, they're definitely not out of it, but it would look to me that this is uh, that this that the Lakers are going to wrap this one up in four or five games just because of the way LeBron has played and the way that Anthony Davis has played. Miami really has not had an answer for those two players. And to be fair, no one has really had an answer for LeBron, Davis, and the Lakers throughout the postseason. They got the red-hot Clippers in round not Clippers. They got the red-hot Blazers in round one, took them out. And then they matched up against James Harden, Chris Paul, wait, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets. Sorry, I'm still, I still got last year's Houston team in my mind. Uh, then they got matched up with... The small ball Houston Rockets, they got through them. The Denver Nuggets had come back from back-to-back 3-1 deficits. The Lakers got a 3-1 lead, and you started to get a little nervous of can Denver do it three times in a row, and it's like, nope, the Lakers shut it down. They, they have been able to just bowl through the Western Conference and have taken a 2-0 lead in the NBA Finals. Is this the makings of an, a Golden State-esque run where we can look up and say that LeBron and the Lakers are going to win two or three of the next couple of titles? Uh, they certainly could if LeBron James and Anthony Davis uh, is the, the core of that duo. I mean, LeBron in his, you know, 35 years old in his 16th or 17th season – um, you know, I, I definitely think that could happen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers do around those guys, because still, you know, with some of the injuries that they've had, uh, Rondo's looked good coming back from his injury, but some of the injuries to Avery Bradley and those guys around them, they definitely need those ancillary pieces and players to be able to step up. So I don't know if I could commit to, you know, running off back to back to back titles or running off three and four years or something like that. I think that's really, really hard to do. Uh, but LeBron is LeBron has shown that, uh, you know, that it doesn't matter how many miles he has on his body. He's been able to, uh, he's been able to deliver. I think I saw something or was looking at something where LeBron has scored 25 plus, uh, nine times uh, in this postseason alone, and at 35 years old, that is that is ridiculous. He had three 
Uh, he had uh, two triple doubles in the Portland series. Uh, and then he had a triple double against De- or uh, two triple doubles against Denver as well. Very nearly had one in game one and game two against Miami. What he has done at 35 years old is incredible. Uh, so, you know, I-, I think we could see that, you know, Anthony Davis has certainly played well enough. Uh, if he continues to play like that, LeBron continues to even put up anywhere close to the numbers he has at 35, 36 years old, then I definitely think they're going to be in the mix for it. But we'll see because it's just so, so difficult to do to, to continue to replicate that year in and year out. Game three of the NBA Finals is 6.30 Central Time tonight. I think that the Lakers are going to win and take a 3-0 lead over Miami. Miami is a scrappy team with a top five, top ten coach, whatever tier of coach you want to be, like first and second tier. Eric Spolstra is right in there, but... No Bam, no Drogic and dealing with AD and LeBron. It's just it's just too much for Miami, and I feel like a 3-0 Lakers lead is where we're headed after tonight's game. Yeah, you know, and even if Bam is able to come back, you just you get the feeling that they're that the Heat are in this hole and you just in watching the first two games, you know, especially game one was not as close as the final score uh indicated. Uh, so, and even game two as well with the way Miami has played with Anthony Davis, the way he is, has performed. So yeah, I don't, I see a three Oh lead for the Lakers. We'll see what happens. Hopefully Miami can, you know, win a couple of games here and, and continue to push the series, but it just, it just, it feels like this one is, uh, this one's for the Lakers, but we'll, we'll, uh, obviously wait and see because, you know, still only two games to none. You got to win four to close it out. So still, still only halfway there. Let's transition to the other Los Angeles team, the Los Angeles Clippers. They had a three, one lead in the Western conference semis against the Denver Nuggets. Denver, of course, came back knocked them out in seven, went on to the Western Finals before they eventually fell to the Lakers. It was an, it was announced that Doc Rivers, the coach of the L.A. Clippers, would not be returning, and he did not have a job for very long because the Philadelphia 76ers, who earlier in the playoffs had decided they're going to move on from Brett Brown, have brought him in to be the new head coach in Philadelphia Cody, this Sixers management of Elton Brand, the GM, and now Doc Rivers, the head coach, seems intent on keeping the Simmons-Embiid pairing together. If you were in charge of the, if you were in charge of the Philadelphia 76ers, it was clear that the Brett Brown coaching tenure had kind of out overstayed its welcome and. You know, you could spend the rest of eternity talking yourself into, well, maybe if that shot against Toronto rims out, we go to overtime. Maybe we go to the Eastern Finals last year. But is keeping Simmons and Embiid together and then just running it back with Doc Rivers the right move in Philadelphia? Uh, I don't, Evan, I don't know. Uh, and that's, uh, perhaps a cop out, but I, you know, I, I still don't know quite how I feel about it. Uh, I have been somebody that has not been the, the biggest fan of the Embiid Simmons pairing just because I, I don't know that, you know, obviously two of, you know, the top, what, 15, 20 players in the league. Uh, but I just, I don't know if their games complement each other in the most effective way possible that you see like with a LeBron or with an Anthony Davis or that kind of stuff. So I go back and forth. I think this is a big hire for Philly because I think you get, you know, Doc Rivers, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Uh, A lot of blame is going to be placed on him for what happened with the Clippers. Uh, I think some of that blame can rest with Doc, but some of that blame is also on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George because they simply, frankly, did not play well enough. And you cannot have a fourth quarter where your stars, you know, don't score or, you know, go, you know, two for 11 or, you know, some of the different numbers that we saw out of the Clippers. So 
I, I don't know. I think it's a good hire for Philly. I like that. Um, I think Rivers is getting perhaps a little bit too much of the blame for what happened with the Clippers. At some point, the players have to go out and perform on the uh, on the court. It, you know, it's coach can say you know whatever he wants or, or talk about whatever, but ultimately the guys have to go out and do it. So I think some of that blame rests with them. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I, I do think Rivers can maximize what they have in Philly. Uh, with Simmons, with Embiid, Tobias Harris, still a very, very good Sixers team. So we'll see what happens. I think it's anytime you can bring in a Hall of Fame coach is a great um, is a great move, and you should definitely do that. So we'll see how it pans out in Philly. This is a Philadelphia roster that, on paper, seems like has very little flexibility and wiggle room outside of Simmons and Embiid. Here are some of the other contract situations. Al Horford is owed $81 million over the next three years, and he struggled mightily in the playoffs this year. Josh Richardson is on the books for around $11 million at 10.8. Tobias Harris is in the second year of his five-year $180 million deal. It's just on paper, there's not a whole lot they can really do with this roster, so it seems like unless they're able to make some sort of move the core five of Simmons, Embiid, Horford, Richardson, and Harris, it looks like that's going to be the core of this roster for at least the next foreseeable future. Yeah, for sure. It definitely does uh, Definitely does feel like that. Now, you know, I think that, I think that core is good enough to, you know, perform uh, very well, particularly in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, you look at it and go, okay, you know, don't love, don't love the, the, the payroll flexibility and some of that, but then you look at it as well and you think, you know, yeah, but that roster is still good enough to compete in the uh, Eastern conference. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm, I like the pieces that Philly has. They just need, you know, a little bit more, you know, somebody else who can create uh, off the dribble and, you know, we'll see how they can fill out that roster with some of that flexibility that or lack thereof um, is probably a better way to put it. But uh, we'll see because I think anytime you add a Hall of Fame coach, that uh, that is a, a good, good move. So I'm very curious to see what happens in uh, very curious to see what happens in Philadelphia. It's something we'll have to keep an eye on because Doc Rivers was also in, approached to be to be the next Houston Rockets head coach. And he had the Philadelphia offer and the Houston offer, and he decided, I'm going to go to Philadelphia instead. Yeah. Uh, do you, if you were Doc Rivers and you had the opportunity of, I can have James Harden and the Rockets, or I can have Simmons and Bede in Philadelphia, would you have made the same decision that he made? Mm, that's a that's a good one. I probably would have. Um. I think Ben Simmons, I really, really love uh, the way Ben Simmons plays. And I think he's one of the, one of the, you know, premier younger players in today's NBA, uh, you know, in the mat in the intrigue with, you know, Joel Embiid and the fact that he is one, you know, when he is healthy, when he is playing at the top of his game, uh, he is, you know, potentially the best big man in the league and it's not even close. So I think the prospect of, Coaching those guys uh, is definitely something that was a big, big draw for Rivers. But again, you can, you know, Houston and coaching, you know, James Harden would be a treat as well. So I think I would have made the same move, but honestly, I don't, I'm not really sure because I don't think you can necessarily go wrong with either of those rosters. Well, Doc Rivers has five years uh, in the new contract to figure it out in Philadelphia. On the flip side of that, the Clippers, they had. Doc Rivers as their head coach, and then they had the Paul George Kawhi Leonard pairing. Which, it if there wants to be just complete chaos, there is an opt out clause where at the end of this season, Kawhi Leonard can just survey the Clippers and say, um, "I think I'm gonna, try, I think I'm gonna explore my options." Where do they go next at head coach? Like who who do they bring in next? That's a good question. I've heard a lot of Ty Lue, 
Uh, I've heard Jeff Van Gundy. I don't know specifically for the Clippers gig for Van Gundy, but I know that he is uh, he is getting some traction. Ty Lue's going to get some traction. But, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with uh, – really, really curious to see what happens with the Clippers just because I think that while, yes, you – you know – it's a situation where yes, they they probably should have uh, played better, but again, you've got to look and turn and check out. And if you're Paul George, if you're Kawhi Leonard, you know you've got to check in and look in the mirror and be like, you know, a lot of that was a lot of that was on us because we didn't play well down the stretch. So does he want to? Does he not like where the Clippers are? And does he want to opt out potentially? And that could definitely happen. But at the same time, I would think that you'd want to run it back. And, and you know, the performances we've seen from Kawhi in the postseason in the past, that series was not indicative of the way he has played. And so for me personally, I would want to, you know, run it back there and show that, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I want to show that we can get it done, uh, that we're a force. And, you know, it just was one of those situations where we didn't we didn't play well uh, in you know, the series this year. So in the Western conference uh, semis this year. So, you know, that would, that would be me. Uh, I don't know what Kawhi is thinking. I don't think a lot of people know what Kawhi uh, is thinking from time to time, but I would definitely look at that roster and, you know, they still have a ton of talent. Uh, They still have, you know, the Montrez Harrell and Landry Shamits and those guys. Uh, And then if, you know, you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, who are, you know, when healthy, two of the top, you know, eight or t- eight or eight or ten players in the league, no doubt about that. So, it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting watch because that clause is definitely, you know, with with the Clippers not winning the title when many thought they would, when many figured they would be favored to, had a good chance to. Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on because it'll it'll you know gauge us in terms of how happy Kawhi is or if he's you know, looking to, to make another move. And let's also not forget the Houston Rockets. They have a coaching vacancy as well because they've moved on from Mike D'Antoni. You would, you would think you can explain a way that Houston having a coaching opening because even before, like, even before their playoff exit, there were some rumblings of whether or not they're going to bring D'Antoni back. And then there was the Daryl Morey Hong Kong stuff. So like they've, they've had some internal strife down in Houston for a while. The NBA coaching carousel is those are two very high profile jobs in the Western conference that are going to be open. And there aren't a lot of what you would consider to be, blue chip candidates out there that you would immediately think, Oh yeah, that would be a good spot. Oh, no doubt. And I mean, anytime you have, you know, a guy like James Harden on your roster, uh, that is a, a very attractive coaching opportunity to be able to, you know, to be able to coach somebody like that. So I definitely think that, you know, the Rockets are going to be, uh, an attractive, place destination but yeah it is a it is interesting when you look at you know you wouldn't think you know a lot of the names we've heard for some of these jobs are are names that we are are already familiar with or have seen in the past and so it's one of those deals where you just kind of you're just kind of waiting around just try kind of trying to see what might shake out here because you know you don't hear the names of any potential you know younger maybe up and coming head coach guys a lot of veterans are the ones that are being uh considered or names being thrown out to be considered for these jobs so i'm, I'm curious to see how it turns out because I, I think that houston is definitely an attractive job in terms of the high level players that they have but we'll see who they're able to uh secure last question before we move on to baseball playoffs is Houston a more attractive job than the LA Clippers? To me, I would say no, because I have the chance to coach Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, so I would, 
I would take the Clippers, but that's that's just me personally. Yeah, two high-profile Western Conference coaching jobs are open. We're going to have to see how those vacancies play out, but my guess is that Ty Lue is going to end up on someone's sideline by the time next season starts. Would not, uh, would not be, would not be surprised. Major League Baseball playoffs have started, and here are some stats for you, Cody. The Minnesota Twins have won five playoff games since the turn of the century. The Seattle Mariners have won six. Do you know the last time the Seattle Mariners made the Major League playoffs, Cody? The Mariners? 22 years ago? 2001. That All right, so what, 19 years ago, close. That 116-win team that didn't make the World Series. Think about that for a second. The Minnesota Twins have made the playoffs nine times since 2000 to here. They have lost 18 consecutive playoff games, while the Seattle Mariners haven't made the playoffs since 2001, and they have more playoff wins in the 21st century than the Minnesota Twins. And also, the San Diego Padres, the last time they won a playoff series was 1998 when they made the World Series against the New York Yankees. They finally got that monkey off their back, and in round two, waiting for them, Clayton Kershaw and the division rival L.A. Dodgers. Cody, what sticks out the most to you through the MLB playoffs that we've had so far? Uh, For me, it's the San Diego Padres because of the way that uh, really the way that they have been managed. Uh, Jace Tingler has done a phenomenal job, you know, with the injury to Clevenger, you know, the Padres trade for Clevenger going to be their, you know, their, their top of the rotation guy. He gets hurt. They have uh, other starter injuries and they overcome those. Uh, a lot of bullpen, uh, a lot of bullpen action for the Padres over the course of the series uh, to get the to get the uh, series win and move on to face the Dodgers uh, over the over the Cardinals. So I definitely think that San Diego has been uh, very very impressive. They went down in Game One seven to four, and then an eleven nine and, and four nothing win over the Cards to advance to face the Dodgers. I think the way San Diego has managed their pitching. Uh, the clutch play of, of Fernando Tatis Jr. has been super fun to watch. And then the other thing for me is Miami. You know, with with all of the COVID-19 uh, stuff that they battled early in the season, had to really change up the schedule, uh, you know, had a postponement of, the, uh, of their game two against the Cubs due to weather. Uh, you know, all of that, they came out, you know, beat the Cubs 5-1 and 2-0 to move on. Uh, into uh, a series with the Braves, you know, you got to take your hats off to what the Marlins have done. And and the Marlins, you know, albeit a small sample size, uh, still have never lost a postseason game. So uh, they are, they are, the Marlins are another, another one of those stories that I've looked at and been like, you know, it's been really fun to watch this Miami team, uh, San Diego as well. Uh, And and then really the play of Freddie Freeman and the Braves, I, I think Freeman has got to be, uh, the the MVP of the league, if you ask me, uh, they get a one nothing win in that marathon game against the Reds, and then a five nothing win as well. Uh, the way Freddie Freeman has played, you know, is just just phenomenal. And so I, you know, I think for him in that MVP talk, the Marlins, you know, continuing some postseason success there, and the play of Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Padres, those have been kind of three of the the things that I have been really, uh, really interested to watch. Yep. On the American League side of the bracket of the ALDS, we have two divisional game. We have two interdivisional matchups, the New York Yankees and Tampa Bay Rays, and then the Oakland A's and the Houston Astros. Houston was nine and 23 on the road this year. They had a losing record of 29 and 31, and they got, all of the jokes and all of the memes about the the banging of trash cans and and everything but is 
is Houston really as big of a villain as the sport tries to make them out to be? Because I, I, I'm still, I mean, objectively what they did was scummy, whether you believe it's cheating or not. But are they really that big of a villain? I, I mean, I think they are because I think they are in the eyes of the players and the people around the league for what they did. So, I mean, I would say yes, I think they are because I think that's how they're perceived by everybody else in the way that the social media reaction has been. Um, all of when you take all that into consideration, I would say yes, that I think they are. Uh, because that is the way that they're being perceived around the league for what they did. I think people, you know, still uh, definitely, definitely against that. Definitely uh, have, you know, harbor a lot of ill will towards towards that. So yeah, I think they are because that's I think how they are perceived by everybody. Well, they get the Oakland A's in Dodger Stadium at three o'clock earlier today, and on the other AL side of the matchup. We get Garrett Cole and the New York Yankees against Blake Snell and the Tampa Bay Rays. Garrett Cole's 13 strikeout performance against the Indians, that to me was like, okay, that's why the Yankees backed up the Brinks truck and gave him all that money. That is the Garrett Cole that everybody remembers and that, that they want to see. And it was it was awesome getting to see that version of Garrett Cole in that in that Cleveland game. Oh yeah, Cole was Cole was absolutely masterful, uh, and that's you know that's what you're paying him. That's what you're paying him the big bucks to do, uh, is is go seven innings, give up maybe only one or two runs, and, and strike out thirteen. Uh, Cole had uh, uh, you know se- seven and three, uh, a two eight four for the 2020 season, 94 strikeouts. Obviously the abbreviated season, but you know all of that goes out the window, and it is all you know for what they're paying him to do. They are paying him to, you know, obviously be their front of the rotation guy during the regular season. But they, that is what they're paying for is to put those uh, performances together on the mound in the postseason to try and lead them to a World Series. That's what they're back. That's what they're banking on with uh, paying him that contract, and he has certainly delivered so far in his time with the Yankees. Uh, Aaron Boone has said that he has not figured out his rotation beyond Garrett Cole. Smart move to not know who your number two guy is after Garrett Cole because conventional wisdom would say that's got to be what Tanaka, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, the, I think there's just maybe not as not as much confidence in. You know, you have Garrett Cole; he's obviously going to be number one. But then I think it depends on matchups. Then I think it depends on you know some of those different things in terms of what Boone wants to do with the Yankees. So I mean. You you look at it and you you have you know you look at Jay Happ and Tanaka and Jordan Montgomery and you know you're just not sure where they want to go and and I think that happens but you know I think it's a testament to you know hey we're super super confident in Garrett Cole and then after that we're gonna have to you know take the matchups into consideration and that sort of stuff. We're gonna have to take matchups into consideration. The New York Yankees against Tampa Bay this year. Uh, they averaged 3.4 runs a game. The Rays won the season series eight games to two. The Yankees pitchers had a 4.84 ERA against the Rays. So just looking at the regular season, and we know in baseball, regular season and postseason, very rarely do those things cross over. Just from a regular season as abbreviated as it was, it would seem to favor Tampa Bay, but you know, once you get to October, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, you got to throw that stuff out the window. Oh yeah. No, you definitely have to throw that stuff out the window, but these two teams have dueled. I think it's going to be a great, great pitching matchup. Um, you know, you're going to go Cole, you're going to go uh, Blake Snell for Tampa. Uh, I think that is, you know, I think we're going to see low scoring, uh, low scoring series there. I think you're going to see uh, great pitching matchups as we saw from these two teams uh, in the regular season when they've played. And uh, looking forward to the series because uh, you know I think it's going to be one of those one of those hard fought, low scoring. Uh, who you know who makes the best decisions with you know guys that are coming in to pitch out of the bullpen and that sort of stuff. Yep, the AL at DS begins. 
October 5th, and then the next day is when the NLDS is going to start. And the real shame of how the playoff brackets shook out is that the the loser of the San Diego LA Dodgers series gets to go home before they make the championship series. It's just a real shame of how the brackets shook out that those two teams had to play each other in the second round, and we're not going to get a winner goes to the World Series out of those two teams. Oh, no doubt. I mean, they have played... Uh, they've played really, really well, and it, it's always a shame when you have to get rid of one of those two teams. When you look at the way that they've played, when you look at what they've put together, the Dodgers, the powerhouse, you know, San Diego really trading for Clevenger, uh, going all in, making a run for it. Uh, you know, it, it sucks that one of those, one of them will have to bow out, but that's the way the matchup works, and that's the way that. Um, that's the way you've got to you've you've got to approach it, and I can't wait to watch that series because I think you know this young up and coming Padres team uh, against the you know the the powerhouse Dodgers is going to be a very fun series. You would think, just just on paper, that all of the pressure is going to be on the LA Dodgers because last year the Dodgers hundred plus wins, best record, best record in baseball, won their division by a landslide last season didn't make the world series. And you would think that, okay, if you guys can't get it done this year, 60 games abbreviated season, are you ever going to get it done? So you would think all of the pressure would be on the Dodgers and the, the Padres, they're this young up and coming team. Nobody thought that they would be here where they are right now. They can be, they can be as loose as they want to be, or as loose as you are allowed to be. Cause you would think all of the pressure was going to fall on the LA side. Oh yeah, no, no question about that. I I think that they are facing that pressure because you make a great point. You know, I think you'll you'll run into those questions of you know, hey, you can't get it done in a sixty done sixty game season. Excuse me, is that something you're going to be able to do? I think they're facing a lot of that pressure. You know, I I, I think they'll tell you it's not. You know, they they don't feel that pressure, uh, but I definitely think it's there. I definitely think you think about it, and I definitely. And I definitely think people are applying that to them uh, with the rosters that they've had, the talent they've had, and their inability to capitalize on a lot of those. Uh, I definitely, definitely agree with you that there is uh, there is a good amount of pressure there. Uh, that series will start on Tuesday the 6th at around 9 o'clock Central Time. Oh, Postseason baseball is here, and uh, we we are excited for it. The NFL, the the news from the week in the NFL has been COVID cases. The Tennessee Titans, as of this taping, Sunday morning, have had at least half a dozen players confirmed test positive and another half dozen or so staff members and coaches they were scheduled to play the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. That game has been postponed until later on in the season. They had to do some reshuffling with bye weeks and everything to make it all to make it all fit. After that news came out, we found out that the New England Patriots quarterback Cam Newton he has tested positive for COVID nineteen, and they were scheduled to play Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Sunday afternoon in the latest bit of news from that is that they retested the other Patriots players. And so far they have all tested negative. The Kansas city chiefs game has been postponed between those two teams. They're aiming for Monday or Tuesday to make that game up, or they'll have to do some bi-week reshuffling like they did with the Steelers and Titans. And as a result, the, Chicago Bears game got moved from the one o'clock window to the three twenty-five window to make up for the loss of the Kansas City New England game. Cody, is this a sign of things to come throughout the season? As that as we go from week to week, we're going to hear more and more about uh, X player from this team has tested positive, and they're going to have to do some gymnastics to make it all work. Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think it's. You know, because it's not a a bubble environment, 
um, I, I think that you're ju- you're just going to have to deal with these things. You're seeing it right now. I think you're going to continue to deal with it throughout the course of the rest of the season. Uh, it looks like the NFL is exploring, you know, adding a, a week 18 or something like that as needed. Uh, if the if that's something where they need an extra week to play some of these games to get them in the regular season. So I think it's the, the world we're living in. I think it's the new normal. Um, you know, I think these teams are doing a, doing a good job in terms of, you know, protecting players and providing the, the safest environment they can. Uh, it's just, you know, that with as, you know, contagious and as, uh, you know, widespread as the COVID-19 uh, coronavirus is, uh, you're going to have players test positive for it. You're going to have people get it. Uh, just because, you know, those guys are, are around each other all the time. And if somebody gets it, you know, it's going to it's going to pass around a little bit. So, you know, I think it's just something that you're going to deal with. The NFL is looking at ways to extend the season potentially if they need to to play some of these games. Uh, it's that's the normal we live in. They're going to play the games uh, that they have uh, that they're able to. Uh, they'll reschedule the ones that they are not able to week to week, and they'll figure out how to get them all in. I, I think they'll, uh, I think they'll be able to figure it out. I think that they will too, especially with the NFL. There is very much a the show must go on sort of how with the Major League Baseball season of how much reshuffling that they had to do to eventually get to sixty games, especially with at one point in the season the. I want to say it was the Cardinals or the Marlins. There was at one point in the season where everyone else had played like 13, 14 games and they had only played like six because of all the COVID cancellations and postponements, but they were able to fit those. I mean, granted, baseball has a lot more leeway in terms of when you can reschedule things than the NFL. So baseball has a lot more, a lot more leeway for those sort of things. But we have a handful of 3-0 teams in the NFL. And, Cody, the one 3-0 team that, feel free to argue with me, disagree with me, whatever, I really like and believe in this Buffalo Bills team. Hear me out. What are the two things that, what are the two things that we've said, yeah, we like the Bills, but with Josh Allen? What are those two things? A propensity for turnovers be one? Yes. And I don't know what the second one is. Accuracy. Is... Josh Allen, he turns the ball over a lot, and he's not accurate. The first two seasons of his career, here is completion percentage. 2018 as a rookie, he completed 52.8% of his passes. 2019, he completed 59% of his passes. Through three games this season, he is completing 71% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, one interception. One interception. And... They were able to win that LA Rams game. They took, they went, they jumped out to a huge lead, and then he drove down the field. You can make the argument that he got a larger than average assist on a bogus-ish, depending on who you talk to, pass interference call to win that LA Rams game. But the two things that we've looked at Josh Allen and thought oh, he's not overly accurate and he turns the ball over. He has done neither of those things through the first three games. And if it continues like this, I like this Buffalo Bills team. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I think they're playing well. I think they have one of the top defenses in the NFL. Uh, That was a a big game against the Rams. Uh, Rams obviously coming back and the Bills being able to hold on. You know, they beat the Jets. They beat the Dolphins. Uh, Tight game against the Dolphins in week two. I don't think we've seen a ton out of their opposition outside of the Rams. They have the Raver, Ra- uh, Raiders, excuse me, Titans and Chiefs coming up before they play the Jets again. So I think a big three game stretch here for the Bills to kind of, you know, continue to prove and show everyone that they are the team that uh, we, we think they are in terms of being able to contend for, you know, a place in the, the Super Bowl. Uh, this year, I think they are good enough uh, in terms, you know, when they, they add, added Stefan Diggs, I think that makes the offense that much more dynamic. I think, as you pointed out, uh, Josh Allen is definitely, uh, definitely more accurate this year. He's, he's playing much better in terms of not turning the football over. That's what you need. Uh, but, you know, for me, the competition of who they're playing hasn't been the biggest over the first three weeks. The Rams, obviously a good win for them early on. 
I think the Ravens, or excuse me, the Ravens again, the Raiders, Titans, and Chiefs the next three weeks will really help us uh, determine. I, I do think Buffalo is, is there to stay in terms of one of the top teams in the AFC, but the next three weeks will go a long way in showing us, you know, where Allen is at. You know, three games a good sample size over the next three will give us six, and then we'll really be able to see uh, where Josh Allen and the Bills are at. The Las Vegas Raiders are who they play on Sunday at 325. Also, an interesting note about the Raiders and Derek Carr. Derek Carr has gone seven straight regular season games without an interception. It is the longest active streak in the NFL right now. Derek Carr has the longest interceptionless game streak regular season-wise at seven. What is your 3-0 and team that you're looking at and thinking, this they're legit, or are you looking at kind of side-eyed, like, hmm, nah, it doesn't really fit here? Uh... I if I had to say one, it would be the Titans because I, I do trust the Bills. I think they're a contender. Uh, the Steelers are a contender because of that defense. They've only given up 58 points, uh, which I think is like third in the league right now. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, with Patrick Mahomes, definitely trust them. Uh, I think the Green Bay Packers are, are legit. And I think the Seahawks are legit. So I'd be between the Bears and the Titans. I like the Titans. I like Tannehill with Derrick Henry, that run game. They have a good defense as well. Um, so between the Titans and the Bears, I'm still – jury's kind of out on those two. I think everybody else has established themselves as a contender. I think those two teams still have quite a bit to prove. You don't, you don't feel that way about Pittsburgh? Because everyone knows that stat of the Pittsburgh – Strength of schedule, they've played three teams that are a combined 0-9. They haven't played anybody who's won a game yet. Yeah, I mean, like, yes, so I subscribe. Like, that makes sense. That's fine. But I think that defense is one of the top in the NFL. And when you have a top defense like that, when the weather turns here in a couple of months, when they, you know, play the way that they have and the way that we see that we saw them play last year with a large portion of that unit back, I – I trust defense and I trust Mike Tomlin leading that group uh, with a healthy Ben Roethlisberger. They're going to be in a much better position than, uh, you know, they had with the revolving door last year. So yes, I'm not, not as worried about the Steelers because they're going to play defense because they have a healthy Ben Roethlisberger back. Uh, That's going to go a long way. No, I'm not worried about Pittsburgh because I think they're going to be able to defend and, you know, hold people, to 18 points a game and you hold someone to 16, 18 points, uh, you definitely trust that that offense can, can at the very least put up 20 and win you those games. How much faith do you have in Seattle of yes, they are three and zero, and Russell Wilson has set an NFL record for most touchdown passes over the first three games with 14 and very easily should have been 15, but DK Metcalf kind of went fully on let in that, uh, in that Dallas Cowboys game. Of I look at the Seattle team and say, okay, yes, Russell Wilson is on fire and is playing otherworldly right now, but they have no pass rush. They don't have much of a secondary. The days of Legion of Boom are long gone. And this looks like a 2018 Patrick Mahomes thing where, yes, Patrick Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns, but the way that defense played, he threw 50 touchdowns because they needed him to throw 50 touchdowns. And looking at this, looking at this Seahawks team that stopped Cam Newton and the Patriots at like the half yard line in the New England game, and very easily could have blown the Cowboys game. Yes, Russell Wilson is playing otherworldly, but the rest of that team, I kind of look at and I think, I I don't know how sustainable this is. Yeah, that's fair. I mean. You know, they've given up 25 points, 30 points, 31 points. But I always trust Russell Wilson. I always trust a team that has a quarterback at that level, a Hall of Famer. Uh, and the way he's playing right now, uh, as you mentioned, you know, Mahomes and and he needed to throw 50 that year. I do think Russ probably needs to throw 45, 50 touchdowns this year for Seattle. I think he will because that defense has struggled. But when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback like that, when you have Russell Wilson – I'm definitely going to give them the benefit of the doubt because he's going to be able to compensate and overshadow some of those other things with the way he has played 
and I think will play this year. So valid points about Seattle, but they have Russell Wilson. And so for that, I'm going to trust them until, you know, I, I, I don't see that otherwise. Yeah, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have built up enough of a track record where I, I can see them getting the benefit of the doubt. They, they've built up enough of a track record where we can do that. Of the teams that are 2-1, that are a strong 2-1, you have the Arizona Cardinals, who are a surprise 2-1, especially after getting through the 49ers. The 49ers are, are banged up, but they were able to get through the Giants and the Jets to go 2-1, two and one, and then they get the Eagles on Sunday night. The New England, of course, that game is postponed. The L.A. Rams. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens. You can say they look sloppy against Kansas City, but to be fair, everybody looks sloppy against Kansas City. Looking at the next group of teams that are sitting at 2-1 and one right now, who is the top? of the two and one teams outside of Baltimore. Cause I think that we can all generally agree that Baltimore is one is like one B right behind Kansas city. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, and it's, you've got a, I mean, you have, you have Tampa, Arizona, the Rams, uh, the 49ers, you have the Raiders, the Colts, uh, the Ravens, uh, the Patriots and the Browns a ton of teams at two and one. Uh, as I, as I kind of look through that group, I do think the Colts will be in the conversation uh, because of the way that they play defense, the way the defense has played and, and, you know, having a bit of an upgrade this year with Phillip rivers at quarterback in the run game that they have. I think the Colts are going to be in the playoff conversation. I, I think, uh, you know, two, two and one is, is definitely, on par for them and they'll be a, a playoff contender. I tell you what, man, I, I, the new England Patriots have impressed me and Cam Newton has impressed me so far. And I'm going to have to, to go out on a limb here in the next week or two and say that I was, I was wrong about, you know, not thinking that that was going to be as good a signing as it has turned out to be. Uh, they are, you know, he's played out of his mind uh, another team that I look at is the Cardinals. Uh, I, I think that, you know, a tough game against the Lions last week, a game that they probably should have won. Um, but, you know, a, a win against the 49ers to open the year was great. Uh, Washington is not very good. They beat them in week two. Hard-fought game against the Lions. You know, Detroit is somebody that can beat anybody with the offense with Matthew Stafford and company. So I think a big game this weekend um, against the Panthers to show uh, who the Cardinals are, but at two and one, the addition of DeAndre Hopkins is uh, an addition that I think has paid dividends already and will continue to pay dividends with second-year quarterback Kyler Murray. The one two and one team that I'm not totally for sure on, and it's just completely just how the first three weeks have shake have shook out, are the 49ers because that 49ers team last season going into the Super Bowl. They just bullied people with their with their offensive line in that run game. Go back and rewatch that first 49ers Packers Packers matchup in late November before they met in the NFC title game. They bullied the Packers in that game. It was over halfway through the second quarter. It was over. And looking at that 49ers team, right now they have no Raheem Mostert, no Bosa. No Solomon Thomas, uh, no Jimmy G, and yes, they beat the Giants and the Jets, who are collectively two of the worst teams in in the NFL right now. But just watching that 49ers team and how they just bullied and manhandled people, and they're gonna have to get some of these guys healthy because yes, they're two and one. But those are a lot of key injuries to really important people, and I wonder how long they can stay afloat, especially when that NFC West division right now is is by far the deepest and most competitive division in the NFL. Oh, there's no question. I, I think that 
the injuries they've suffered on defense are a real cause for concern. I think that's where they hang their hat, as you pointed out. And so definitely, definitely look at them at two and one and go, you know, I really don't know, really don't know where they're at. Uh, really don't. <laughs> Jury's still out for me because you mentioned the defense, such a big part of what they do. And you don't have those guys uh, really. We'll see how they respond, but they are definitely a team that I totally agree with you there that I don't know where they're at because just a very, very tough situation with the injuries they've suffered on defense. Well, they get the 0-2-1 Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night. A, a chance to, for them to maybe go 3-1. and one. We'll have to see how that plays out. Cody, college football is going on strong, and if you thought that in a normal year that the playoff and the college football playoff committee has an impossible job. Uh, they have an, I don't know if this is a word. They have an impossible er job this year because <laughs> the big, tw- the big, the big 10 is playing eight games plus a conference title game, so That's nine. The the pack 12 is playing six games plus a conference title game. So that's seven. And there's already sort of inequity just in terms of like the depth of the conference, like the depth of the conferences of, well, how would team X fare if you put them in the big 10 versus being in the ACC. But now you've got the, the weight thrown in of these guys aren't playing an even number of games. So you're going to have to figure out, okay, well, is a potentially 7-0 Oregon team better than a one-loss SEC team? Or is a one or is a two-loss Oklahoma better than a Ohio State team that went 9 and 0 I don't know how they're going to navigate these waters of of the college football playoff and it's it is a mess cuz it was seasons were getting postponed and now they're getting unpostponed and teams are playing six games and guys that are opting out are opting back in because they didn't think they'd have a season This is a bizarro college football year before we even get into the stuff that's going on on the field Oh, yeah. No, it really is. And trying to figure out, as you mentioned, I think the the toughest part is trying to weigh these schedules in terms of, you know, the abbreviated season and what those mean as compared to other people. I think the way that you play the eye test in however many games you play or whoever you play is going to go a long way just because I think you're going to have some of that scheduling inequity. So, you know, perhaps who looked the best uh, will stand out. But, yeah, there's no question it's uh, it's an interesting foray into how the heck do we pick who these best teams are. Uh, and you just saw Oklahoma uh, drop a couple of games. You saw uh, Texas drop a game. So it, it's, you know, we're just a, we're just in an interesting situation because you're not quite sure how these schedules or how these teams measure up. You're just going to have to go with, okay, I've watched, you know, X, Y, and Z team. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, the Big Ten, of course, is yet to win a game or uh, yet to play a game, excuse me. So they're going to ramp up their season. Just odd situations, odd circumstances that, will, that are definitely going to lead to some very intriguing uh, decisions and matchups as we push down the uh, stretch of the season. Yeah, we, ha- we have yet to see the, the Pac-12 or the Big Ten play a game and the Pac-12 in their case their season isn't starting until like late October early November uh, somewhere in there the Big Ten oh, yeah. se- the Big Ten season doesn't start until the week before Halloween you know if you if you thought that just in a normal season I mean last year we kind of had the perfect storm of everyone just sort of agreed that these are the four best teams and there wasn't really a lot of room for argument but this year, you've already had the defending champion LSU become the first defending national champion to lose their season opener in over 20 years, and they lost to Mike Leach in Mississippi State. Oklahoma has lost twice already. 
They lo- they just lost to an Iowa State team that lost to Louisiana Lafayette in the season opener. You know, we can get into the whole transitive property of college football of, you know, X team beats Y, therefore, you know, all that. Yeah. Florida is sitting at number three in the country. Kyle Trask looks pretty good. Uh, you know, there's so many questions and so many things that need to be unanswered because if they just stopped playing games right now, the top four teams would be Clemson, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Okay, you have three SEC teams and the one team in the South Carolina in the top four. Now, of course, the Big Ten, Pac-12, they haven't played games yet, but they've had to reshuffle the top 25 because they didn't think the Pac-12 was playing, so they took them out of the 25 altogether, but now that they're playing, so they had to put them back in. Like, this feels like... Like, the entire year 2020 feels like someone tried to do, like, a real-life time travel movie and history is course-correcting itself to try and stop the time travelers so we're getting all this all this stuff hitting <laughs> the wall in, like, one year. This is... How do you even vote for a who wins a Heisman? How do you even vote for a Heisman? And say... Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, okay, well, the Pac-12 guy... I, I'm trying to think of... Who would be a favorite to win the Heisman? Uh, like if uh, Trevor Lawrence wins the Heisman, you can say, well, yeah, but Trevor Lawrence got to play 10 or 11 games while this guy over here at Oregon only got to play six. I mean, how is that? How? Uh, like, I, I don't, I have so many questions about this college season and I don't think I'm going to get any of them answered. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we're we're in for one of those seasons where you're not quite sure, you know, what you're not quite sure what is happening um, and, and how how it's going to be navigated, how people are going to select for these awards, how the college football playoff committee is going to look at these different scenarios, uh, because, you know, take, um, you know, your leading your leading passer is uh, Shane Buchelet, the the former Texas quarterback. He's at SMU. He has 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, and two picks. But SMU's already played four games. You know, he's on par with what he would probably do in a regular season, but they've had the opportunity to play four games. A lot of people haven't had the chance to do that. So, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a very, very interesting thing to watch, a very interesting scenario to play out because there's so much more, uh, so many more unanswered questions. And, and as you pointed out, you know, how the heck are you supposed to decide, you know, who these best players are or, you know, who the best teams are? It's going to be a lot of, you know, you're just going to have to watch some of these marquee games and you're going to have to trust some of the, some of the history of these teams and the way that they've looked so far. And you're just going to have to go on that because you're not going to have much else to go on. They may only play, you know, seven, eight games. On a more extreme end of the spectrum, the Houston Cougars have tried to play Every week since college, they've had all five of their games postponed. They <laughs> they have tried to play all season, and they haven't been able to get on the field yet. I mean, there's like there are so many unanswered questions that I don't think we're ever fully going to get answers to. Because think of if college football happened, if the way the college football season is going on now the way that the NFL went on where the NFL for whatever reason decided, okay, the NFC South will play six games this year, but the AFC North, you get to play 10 games. Okay. Well, are we gonna, there it's, I don't know how to describe this. Like, are we going to, are we even going to award a Heisman this year? Are we even going to have all Americans this year? I mean, obviously we are, but how are you going to wait? Okay. Well, yes, this person may have only played seven games, but what this guy did in seven games outweighs what Trevor Lawrence did in 11 games. Like I, I I don't know how they're going to make this all work. No, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of there're going to be a lot of questions, a lot of room for error, uh and you're going to you're going to see some I think interesting decisions. But yeah, no, I mean there's 
there's there are plenty of things we just don't have an answer to and it's gonna just have to play out in real time for us in front of us for us to be able to figure it out yeah the college football season has gotten off to a strange start because we started the season with the sun like the sun belt getting the best of the big 12 and then we watched Oklahoma lose in Ames, Iowa for the first time since like the sixties, like the last time that Oklahoma lost in the state of Iowa, John F. Kennedy was president. (laughs) And then we're also seeing that we're a couple weeks away from the start of the big 10 season. The Florida Gators looked pretty good, though, with Kyle Trask at quarterback uh, beating up uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks. So, if nothing else, at least two out of the three schools in Florida look solid. Sorry, Florida State. Oh, yeah, it's been a disaster for Florida State. But, yeah, no, I mean, the the Gators have looked good. And, you know, Kyle Pitts uh, has looked really, really good in terms of uh, Trask and Pitts and their connection and they've played well on offense. So yeah, it, you know, and you were, you were talking about it, uh, just a few minutes ago. We just don't have a lot of these answers and a lot of it is just going to have to play out in front of us. And it's good. Not We're going to have to settle for, we're not going to know, we're not going to be able to have the full amount of evaluation time. You're just going to have to watch these things play out. College football has always lended itself to, you know, some chaos, and that sort of stuff anyway so you're just gonna have to to go you're just gonna have to go and you're gonna have to watch the games and you're gonna have to just trust that that's gonna happen you're gonna have to know that that's gonna happen and that's about all you can do it is about all we can do but by this time next month every one of the top major five conferences will have started playing games because the pac-12 it will be the last ones that play then the college football playoff national title game is still tentatively scheduled for January 11th. Whether or not they're going to have to move those around, we're not totally sure, but it is definitely something to keep an eye on and what has been a bizarre year in sports, which Cody, I went back and re-listened to our 2019 year in review show versus like what we hope would happen in 2020 man like almost none of that has has held up like because who would have thought that by mid-march we'd be in the middle of this yeah no i mean nobody would have nobody would have guessed that so a lot of what we thought might happen you kind of throw out the window but that's you know that's the world we've uh that's the world we've been living in you know over the past handful of months and that's about par for the course you just kind of got to um, continue to, to go about your business and take whatever situation you're dealt with and, and move along. That's about all you can do. Yep. Big week going on. Uh, NBA Finals is in full swing. Major League Baseball playoffs. This The divisional series of the AL and NL start in the next couple days. You've got... The last question I'll ask before we go is, let's say for whatever reason you only have enough time to watch one of these things. You can either watch... Baseball playoffs or NBA finals? Uh, which one are you watching? Uh, I, I'm taking baseball playoffs uh, a little bit biased just because of how the way the two NBA games have gone before. I think we're going to get some great, great uh, MLB matchups. So if I could only do, uh, if I could only watch one of those, I'd definitely say MLB playoffs, but luckily I'll be watching both. Yeah, I would have to say MLB playoffs too. More specifically, the Tampa Bay Yankees series and the Los Angeles San Diego series. Like those two are the ones that I'm going to keep my eyes on and the NBA finals, uh, just based on how the first two games are going to go. It feels like it feels like it's over, but it's not over yet. And of course there's a chance that by this time next week, it's tied two two and I look like an idiot, but Cody, that'll, that'll be a good spot for us to wrap up. Uh, it has been a, it has been a busy last few weeks. So now that we're in October, and it's officially it's a, and it's officially a sweater and pumpkin and Halloween season. It feels strange that you look up and be like, "Oh, what do you mean Halloween's in like three weeks?" 
Oh yeah, it's, it's gone. The, the time has gone quick, uh, but you know, it, it's. I'm just glad we have all all these sporting events going on, and you know, the the situations that have caused them all to be going on right now uh, with the coronavirus stuff is is not ideal, and you know, praying for everyone that has that's had to deal with that. But definitely, definitely glad that, you know, time is going quickly as we're playing out all these sports and getting some of these, you know, abbreviated seasons and playing sports at different times has been uh, has been has been pretty cool. It has it has been, especially when October is normally kind of like a, a the dead month of the calendar where it's like, OK, you've got baseball playoffs and football and that's pretty much it. But not the case, not the case this year. For Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long. We'll see you next time. Make sure to check us out on all of your podcast platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Player FM. We're on Stitcher. Uh, If there is a podcast platform out there, this show is on it. So make sure to check us out however you consume your podcasts. So for Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long, and we'll see you next time.